This is an ABC podcast. Imagine if a trusted family relative offered you the trip of a lifetime, an overland odyssey in a custom-designed motorhome. Well, this was the offer made in late 1977 to two retired American women, Vera Todd and her companion, Florice Bessia. Neither woman had been overseas before, so the offer was just too good to refuse. But five months into the journey, that trip spiralled into a nightmare as the women found themselves at the centre of the largest drug haul ever made in Australia at the time. We understand that 1.9 tonnes, and that's an awful lot of hash, has been found in a camper van. I said, what's silver water? He said, well, that's a prison for women. Hello and welcome to The History Listen. Kirsty Melville here with an astonishing true story about family, deceit, betrayal and a drug kingpin who got off scot-free. Sandy Logan was a young journalist when the case, which came to be known as the Drug Grannies, hit the headlines. And he found the story both shocking and intriguing. There was the age of the alleged drug smugglers, the amount of high-grade hashish found in their motorhome, and the criminal conviction handed out to them. Forty years on from it all, Sandy's written a book about the case called Betrayed. And in this first episode of our two-part series, he winds the clock back to the late 1970s, to the start of this very wild ride. You'll also hear recordings with the two women that have never been aired before. Here's the story of the drug grannies, too old to run. Close your eyes, girl, look inside the Let the sound take you away. In 1978, a story caught my eye, and little did I know then that it would consume my life for many years after. Well, uh, as you say, uh, your lifestyle, uh, Floris and I both being retired, worked like 59 years of how old you are. That's Vera Todd Hayes, who everyone, including me, called Toddy. She met her companion, Floris Basir, whose nickname was Beezy, in the early 1950s on the Douglas Aircraft Assembly Line in Los Angeles. We found a little place and back in the Deschutes National Forest in Oregon with a population of about 4,100 people. Together, Toddy and Beezy enjoyed an outdoors lifestyle, traveling around the U.S. in a motorhome. In 1977, Toddy's nephew Vern offered his aunt and Beezy what sounded like the trip of a lifetime to drive his brand-new Mercedes-Benz van from Stuttgart, Germany, all the way to Bombay, today known as Mumbai. Even though Toddy and Beezy didn't know it, their itinerary would follow the classic hippie trail. This was the route for a generation of travellers who trailed flowers in their hair and enjoyed the offerings of the local cannabis cafes and hashish shops. The two women mulled over Vern's offer. I said, well, I don't know. I said, I'd have to ask Beezy first. He says, well, she can go along with this travel companion. All expenses paid, and you've never been over to Europe and uh, driving through all these countries you've read about, because we both have belonged to the National Geographic for over 20 years. And we thought, gee, why pass up a chance like this? Vern Todd was an American-born yachty, actor, handyman, and budding businessman. In 1966, in his mid-20s, he settled in Australia, 
It was well known in the Todd family that Vern considered Toddy his favorite aunt. So the trip offer was in keeping with their relationship. I love those ladies. They were jovial and kind and decent people. That's Carol Brewer, a neighbor of Toddy and Beezy's. She knew them in Lapine in the 70s as they were deliberating over the trip. They were so excited about going on this trip. They well, when are you leaving? When are you leaving? They said, oh, well, when my nephew gets all the plans made. And, you know, they were really looking forward to this trip. On the 26th of August, 1977, Toddy and Beezy flew to Germany to collect the motorhome and start their exciting overland odyssey. In Stuttgart, they collected the 26-foot, that's eight meters, long left-hand drive camper van. A customs carnet was issued in Toddy's name as she was doing the driving. And this document affixed to her passport meant the women could enter and exit international borders with the foreign registered van. Their destination over a three-month period was Bombay. At various points along the way, nephew Vern or his business associates would meet up with the women. This was part of a plan to promote his new product, an inflatable tubby bath for babies. Once Toddy and Beezy hit Bombay, they'd hand the van back to Vern and fly home to the U.S. This was the women's first time overseas, and during the trip, they kept diaries of their travels. They also sent postcards to family and friends back home and described the extraordinary events they encountered. There were language barriers, the vagaries of foreign cuisine, and wildly varying driving conditions, which often terrified them. And then there were the bandits. Did they tell you about the time that they were going? I don't remember which country. Iran or someplace they were going through. That's Nancy Carter, another Lapine neighbor, who received postcards from Toddy and Beezy during their trip. She's speaking to me down a scratchy phone line. And Beezy didn't drive, and Toddy was tired, so they stopped, like, in the middle of the desert. And Beezy sat up with lights on, and that was the only thing that kept them safe because the nomads or whatever they were there circled that motorhome, I guess, all night long. No kidding, pretty soon the women and the children all disappeared. Here's Beezy, back home in the U.S. years later, remembering that night in the desert. And it got dark, and all of a sudden we did look, and here was the bandits. <laughs> so we rolled up windows, locked doors, pulled drapes and everything, and they're standing out there making noises, pounding on the thing. And First I got all the knives we had in the place, all the tire jacks and tools and hammers, and I laid them all out on the counter. I thought, well, if you're breaking the windows, somebody's going to get hurt. I was trying to think of the word. What is the word that means? Baba. Baba. Baba can mean friend. It can also mean son of a bitch. Depends on the intonation you use. So I would try to make my voice as deep as possible so they didn't think there was a man in there. And I'd say, hey, Baba. Now, not nasty but like, hey, friend, stop it. But I read all night, and they pounded all night. They started getting daylight about, oh, 5.30, quarter to 6, and they disappeared. But we found out later that the only reason they didn't break in, the light. They couldn't figure what the lights were on in there. And that's what saved us. Toddy and Beezy's 1977 overland journey had taken them from Germany through Austria, the former Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, Turkey, 
Iran, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. And once they hit India, they thought they were on the home stretch. But as they were making their way to Bombay, they hit the monsoon season. We get about 30 kilometers out of New Delhi, south of New Delhi. Looks like we got a river that's about four miles long, going right across, I won't say highway, the track that we're riding on. Anyhow, you couldn't tell how, how deep it was because there's no traffic. We were the only ones there. So I said to Toddy, I better get out in front here and look for potholes because it's, I mean, real deep. So I rolled up my pants, which was kind of stupid. I might as well just left them down because I was way over my hips. But anyhow, I started feeling around my feet and walking, and she had to keep the motor going so that the water wouldn't come up the exhaust pipe, you know, so just keep it like, sound like an outboard motor. And she's in this big Mercedes, and which the water was still running in. That's how high it was. And this is out in what they call Bengal Tiger Country and also bandit country. <laughs> so finally, anyhow, when we get through there, Toddy finds out that the radiator and it was showing in the red. And so we pull off and we finally get the hood open. And here the, the radiator had bounced off of the mounting bolts. So she finally got it off of the road and down, we went down a gradual incline and settled right there. This mechanical issue with the van was to be the least of the women's worries. When they finally reached Bombay, one of Vern's associates, Philip Shine, an Australian antiques dealer, gave Toddy and Beezy an ultimatum. Fly to Australia and pick up the van there. If they didn't cooperate, they were told they'd be hounded for the rest of their lives because Philip Shine told the women that the customs document, the carnet, required them to stay with the vehicle all the way to Australia or face arrest. He also threatened violence by unnamed people. Because it was Toddy's nephew, Vern, who'd organized the trip, the women felt obliged to do as they were told. But Toddy and Beezy insisted that once the van was on the dock down under, that was it. They were done. And so on the 10th of November, 1977, Toddy and Beezy boarded a flight to Australia. Once on the ground in Sydney, they had to wait several weeks for the ship carrying the camper van to reach port. They made the most of their time in a country they'd never planned on visiting. Taking in Sydney, its harbour, and even attending the Colgate International Women's Tennis Championships, where they cheered on Yvonne Goolagong Cawley. Toddy and Beezy continued writing postcards home, though they didn't utter a word to friends or family that they were in Australia, essentially against their wishes. In early December 1977, the two women headed to Melbourne as instructed to collect the camper van. And while Toddy and Beezy didn't know it, turns out that other people were also keeping watch on the Melbourne docks for the van's arrival. We had three days' notice that the van was arriving in Melbourne. That's Inspector Bob Drain of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. So folks, what I haven't told you yet in this extraordinary tale is why narcotics agents become involved in the story of two elderly American women and their motorhome. You see, from the mid-1970s, Australian intelligence analysts had detected a pattern of vehicle importations from Bombay, supposedly by tourists planning to drive around Australia. 
The only thing was, the vehicles turned out to be crammed full of hashish. The women's motorhome fit the profile as a likely drug smuggling operation. Here's Bob Drain talking about Toddy and Beezy's van from a 1981 Four Corners program. We knew there were narcotics on board, but we didn't know exactly how much. But we figured there were enough to mount a large-scale operation. So we put cars in this area. We had one parked down the road down here, another one towards the city, and we had an officer on the, the wharf in uniform to cover anything that happened in that area. As Christmas 1977 approached, Bob Drain and a 12-agent undercover surveillance team swung into action. Part of a larger task force known as Operation Genius, Drain's offsider was Agent Michelle Curry, who we'll know as Mish. In the Bureau, I really got down and got my hands dirty. These busts, some of them actually ended up really sadly. I felt I was doing a bit of a job, really, that, that I could be proud of. You know, I had friends who actually smoked dope, cannabis. But when it came to the hard stuff, the heroin, the morphine, and the, and the cutting compounds that they used, I thought, no, get this scourge off the streets. Heading into work just before her 1977 annual leave, Mish soon discovered she might have to change her holiday plans. I think it might have been the 13th of December. Went into work and just for a normal day's work, which was never normal anyway, and found myself in a surveillance car heading up the highway after being briefed, of course. I recall that um, our persons of interest were actually some elderly ladies. They were around about my grandmother's age, and I was a bit stunned at that. Agents Bob Drain and Mish Curry went undercover to monitor Toddy and Beezy's movements in Australia 24 hours a day. Following the women on the road, in campgrounds, eating at restaurants, or downing a schooner at the pub. Everything. Their first encounter with Toddy and Beezy was in a laundromat in a Shepparton campground in country Victoria. It was the first night of Toddy and Beezy's Australian leg of their now extended overland trip. We never knew where they were going the following day. We had little clothing. We had the, the clothes that we stood up in. We weren't actually expecting to start a five or six week surveillance. So I uh, asked my fellow narcotics agents that were part of the surveillance teams and there were about four or five cars and about at least ten surveillance people and uh, I just asked them to give me their socks and their jocks <laughs> and uh, because the ladies had headed to the laundry. Uh, this was the laundromat where we first established contact with the two old ladies. We had a female agent come in here and do some washing alongside them and strike up a conversation with a view to finding out uh, where they're going next. I found myself doing a wash and hoping that they would come back for their washing, which they did whilst I was still there, and struck up a conversation and um, just mentioned that I was heading off, heading north, and during the conversation they sort of said, oh, they're heading up to, I can't recall exactly where it was, so we thought that we knew exactly where 
they would be going to the following day so that we could have enough funds sent to the post office at that particular city or town. And that, that's how we rolled after that, that first meeting. As a covert surveillance of Toddy and Beezy continued, the agents had to secretly break into the women's van and install a listening device. It was attached to the van's radio. When the two ladies drove the van from Melbourne to Sydney, agents from the Sydney office were called in to assist with the ongoing surveillance. This is former narcotics agent John Shawbrook, who was part of Operation Genius. Here he is reading from his unpublished manuscript about his time as an agent. From Sydney, the two grannies drove the motorhome up the Pacific Highway towards New South Wales Central Coast. It was a Christmas school holiday period, and when we arrived at the coastal township of Gosford, it was crowded. The grannies were fortunate to get a berth for their van in the crowded Gosford caravan park. It was decided by the officers in charge to plant a bug in the van, a microphone and transmitter, whilst the ladies were dining at the Gosford RSL. I was chosen as a volunteer to enter the van and conceal and connect a small radio transmitter up underneath the dash. I connected our transmitter to what I believed to be the correct wire and a dim red light glowed on the transmitter. Success. Toddy and Beezy, still oblivious to the surveillance, took a shopping trip in Gosford. They then drove out of the caravan park. We followed them from an appropriate distance up through the township of Gosford and into a slightly more industrial area where, to our surprise and horror, they turned into the driveway of a car radio repair shop. It was at this point that narcotics agent John Shawbrook had to make a call. As the ladies entered the front door of the shop, I ran to the workshop area and entered by a side door. Whether to jeopardise the entire operation by blowing his cover, or instead bringing the radio repairman into a secret. So he flashed his agent's badge and leaned in to have a quiet word with the repairman. He told me that they had said that their radio was not working and could he have a look at it? I decided that he needed to know more. I connected a radio transmitter up to it last night and that must have killed the radio. When you have a look at it, can you leave the transmitter hidden up under the dash and in a working condition? Yeah, sure, he said. But they said the radio hasn't been working since they first started driving the van in Melbourne. Undercover police work can be routine, even boring, but occasionally it throws up the unexpected. And for Narcs, Bob Drain and Mish Curry, this meant being welcomed into the very motorhome they were surveilling. Mish Curry takes up the story. The last time we ran into them in an undercover capacity was at the Central Coast Leagues Club, uh, where we over-imbibed, the four of us. And I think we had a meal together. That's how over-imbibing we did. <laughs> And they invited us back to the camp van and we thought, wow, this is pretty great, dear me. Anyway, upon entering the van, we sat at their little four-seater table and I was just totally overcome by the aroma 
of hash. And I just, I'd already over imbibed, but I, I don't think the fumes did me any good either. <laughs> I actually think, uh, I'll admit that when we did leave the van, I left my handbag in the van with my badge, said Michelle Curie, Federal Bureau of Narcotics, all of that. Anyway, I, I said to Bob, I said, oh, I've got to go back to the van. I said, I've left my bloody handbag there. To which Bob, a couple of expletives, and uh, I went knocking at the door of the van. The lights were out, the whole lot. And um, one of the girls said, uh, who is it? And I said, it's Mish. I've left my handbag there. She said, oh, we would have brought it to the club tomorrow. I said, no, I said, um, actually, I said, I need it tonight. I said, because, you know, I've got my women's thing. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. So anyway, I've got my handbag and, um, and there you go. And well, had they been really nosy parkers, they would have realized that we were onto them. So I, I was not compromised. Toddy remembers the same late-night drinks with Mish Curry and Bob Drain. She thought the undercover narcs were simply two down-to-earth friendly Aussies. And we ran into Bob and Mitch again. We gambled, we drank together, we were on first-name bases. And about, I think it was about the third night. Oh, we had, had too much to drink. So we decided to take a taxi and say goodnight to them. And Bob says, no, don't do that. We'll drive you back. I said, well, fine. So he and Mitch drove us back to Terrigal. I said, well, as long as you're here, I guess this was about... 1.30, 2 in the morning, let's come in and have a nightcap. So they both came in, sat down. It wasn't one nightcap, they were there two or three hours. Fed them some sandwiches and more cocktails and more conversation and just good friends having a wonderful time. We thought that they were, they were very, very cool people, uh, inviting us back to the van, uh, regardless of what they knew, what we were or not. A couple of very cool customers. In the back of my mind, I felt that perhaps there was a bit of con man in them or con woman, if you like. And I guess working in narcotics after a while, you become a bit cynical about people and uh, you tend to believe the worst about people. Over the summer of 1978, the women were being pressured by Toddy's nephew, Vern, to keep driving around country Victoria and New South Wales. This was because Vern was planning to try and unload the stash in the van. Each time the women tried to end their holiday to return home to the U.S., Vern would up the ante by threatening them. And when the women asked Vern what was going on and why they needed to keep aimlessly driving, he told the women they didn't need to know anything more. Unwittingly, Toddy and Beezy now found themselves in something so deep there was simply no way out. At one stage, Beezy got alarmed after finding a small electronic device hanging from underneath the camper van. I didn't know what it was at first. It was just on the leaf springs there, and I took it off and you said took it, it in the van. And hand. Well, it was loose, yeah. Unclipped it and took it inside and took it apart with a screwdriver. Then I knew it was a beeper. Then I knew something was wrong. What Beezy had discovered was the NARC agent's tracking device, which had worked itself free. By January 1978, the women had become desperate. They wanted no more of the van and whatever seemed to be hidden inside it. So they pleaded with the U.S. consulate for help. They were told, put the camper van in storage and head back home. 
but the anxiety and fear had become too much for Toddy, who ended up in St. Luke's Hospital, Sydney, with high blood pressure. With flights back to the U.S. already booked, and not knowing how long Toddy would need to stay in hospital, Beezy made the difficult decision to fly home on her own. At Sydney Airport, checking in for a flight, Beezy bumped into two men in suits, who were keen to have a word with her down at the police station. The Narcotics Bureau weren't wasting their time. Inspector Bob Drain and myself went to the hospital. Meanwhile, agents Bob Drain and Mish Curry headed to the hospital to bump into Toddy. Here, Mish uses Toddy's first name, Vera. We knew that Vera was going to be checking out. She looked at both Bob and I, stunned, and and sort of said, what are you doing here? Something like that. And Bob said, look, we've got a few questions to ask you. My name's Robert Drain. I'm with the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, and this is Mish, Mish Curry. She's a federal narcotics agent, and we would like to talk to you. And her face absolutely dropped. And her first inquiry was, where's Beezy? I said, where's Beezy? She said, she's in Silverwater. I said, what's Silverwater? He said, well, that's a prison for women. I said, what the hell for? He said, I can't tell you now. Get your things, get in the car, and we'll go down to the court building or whatever building the narcotic agents are in. I had no idea, not a bit. It was, I would say, the most difficult arrest that I've ever made. She was quite shocked to find out who I was. I must admit, uh, whilst I was anxious to do my job, I still felt rather low at the time about the arrest. The information we've received is a little sketchy, but this is what we can tell you. This is how the world learned about the arrest of Toddy and Beezy, soon to be dubbed the Drug Grannies. ABC TV's current affairs program, This Day Tonight. The Customs Department has made the biggest ever haul of hashish in Australian history. Now, we understand that 1.9 tonnes, and that's an awful lot of hash, has been found in a camper van, a Mercedes-Benz camper van, which is at present in the possession of the Customs Department at their marine centre. Part one of The Drug Grannies, Too Old to Run, was written and narrated by Sandy Logan. The sound engineer was Matthew Crawford, and the editor was Michelle Rayner. Next time, in part two, Sandy traces the hellish nightmare which unfolds for Toddy and Beezy in Australia after the discovery of drugs inside their camper van. I showed her a sample of the goods that we found under the, the floor of the camper van. What in the world? You're thinking about your loved ones at home. Everything is going through your mind. What, what, what is going on? And, and you don't know what's going on. You've never been in drugs. You've never been affiliated with drugs in any of your life. You don't even know what the stuff is. Now, all of a sudden, this is what you're in for. I sentence you to imprisonment for 14 years. Very, very unfair. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand it. I hated my nephew like I never hated anybody in my life. Rape amongst women, bashings hair pulling, shaving of heads. They were like grandmothers. Actually, some of the girls used to call them grand. 
Senator Mark Hatfield of Oregon has written to the Prime Minister, Mr. Fraser, to ask for freedom for the two American women. That this has almost completely destroyed us. Uh, it hasn't. We still have our faith, and we know someday it will. It has to end. Whether it's a beginning, there is an end. And oh God, please make it soon. We've got to get home to our loved ones. I'm Kirsty Melville. Thanks for your company on the History Listen. I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.